Hi, my beautiful warriors, my friends. It has been a long time since we've connected. It is 1.47 in the morning here, and I've been mostly on the phone, but I was also looking at my anchor app, and it just, you know, broke my heart that I saw that my last time I posted was to let you know that I got... Another way for us to communicate, uh, and that is a Gmail. Um, still figuring out the, the logistics of it, but I have done a little upgrade, a little something something to the Life Unscripted Instagram page. So if you are on Instagram, go check it out. I'm hoping to keep posting more, help get um, more followers, more like-minded individuals here, you know, if you're looking for a place to go and uh, place a community that um, will accept you as who you are and just embrace everybody, then this is the place for you because here, here it's all about just being who we are and being real and unedited, unscripted, as, as it is in the title of my, uh, title name of my podcast. Um, so as far as what's been going on in the chronic illness part of things, things are going smooth until they weren't, and that led me to uh, a tube change, followed by a diagnosis of Adrenal insufficiency, that is right, added to the collection. And it's, you may have known it by other names, Addison's disease. So I'm still in the works of being followed up with an endocrinologist. And that has been a whole thing. That's been kind of trying my patience, but I also know that sometimes when you need to get into a specialist and you need to have a good doctor, it takes time. So um, I would rather take my time and make sure that I have a, the next person adding, adding on to the team is good and can handle my situation versus somebody that isn't well-versed to handle it. So I will let you know in the future once I have an appointment and I can, you know, have more definitive uh answers, directions, that kind of thing to go on. But from what I know so far is that I have low cortisol levels, so low, in fact, that I had to immediately be put on um, something to replace it because my body does not make it. Uh, the reason it doesn't make it is because I, because uh, of my other chronic illnesses, let's put it that way, um, kind of started with sinus infections, then it became chronic bronchitis, and then it became asthma and chronic flare-ups. And then I started having these really crazy allergic reactions out of nowhere and fatigue, but they all seem sort of random. But then after doing a lot of research, all of it kind of came together um, because when you have the cortisol, so if you don't know about this, Cortisol is the hormone in your body responsible for 
how your body deals with stress. So, and any kind of stress. Stress comes in all different shapes and forms and ways. Things you didn't even expect you could call stress are stress. And, well, if you don't have that hormone there or you don't have enough of it, your body, your body's going to respond like I would respond to any kind of stressful situation. But the other part of it, and most people don't even realize this, is that cortisol is released. And normally enough is it released, is released to compensate for the stress, right? So if not enough of it is released, your body cannot deal with it. And give you an example, one of the things my body cannot deal with that is stress on my body. So it's physical, emotional, mental stress, any kind of stress. But for me, allergic reactions. I still get them and they've been getting kind of crazy. So when I get them now, you know, I get the itchy rash and it hit my, it's my lungs and things start happening really fast. And that has to do with normally if there was enough cortisol in my system, even if I was having an allergic reaction, I kind of had the cortisol there to like back me up and make it my immune, kind of help my immune system realize, okay, we don't need to go crazy here. But kind of without, you know, somebody to check the immune system, the immune system just thinks they can, you know, do whatever. So then the cortisol level is going to respond to that reaction. Well, there's not enough there. So then you get symptoms. So you get basically a reaction to whatever the allergen is. Then the symptoms of having a low cortisol. So for me, I'm having the reaction. I'm already itchy. It's hitting my lungs. And on top of that, the cortisol. Okay, again, the, the low cortisol reminds me of low cortisol levels because I'll start feeling very nauseous. I get stomach cramps. I get very tired. My heart rate just shoots up. And so it's like, well, when all that's happening, do you go to the hospital? What do you do? Well, uh, for right now, uh, I take a replacement, which is what you, you do. When you don't make enough, you take a replacement. Um, and it took a couple times before finding one that my body was willing to accept. And, um, so what I do is I usually take a full dose of one, uh, for example, prednisone in the morning and, or like when I first wake up in the day. And then if I have a reaction, an allergic reaction, I have to treat the reaction, but then I have to treat the low cortisol. So my body is going to release cortisol or try to, to help deal with this reaction. It's not going to be enough. So for me not to get very, very sick, I take, I have to take another half. So if I take five milligrams, I have to take another half of that five milligrams. So it's called updosing or stress dosing. And uh, usually followed by that, sometimes I also need to take a Pepsi because it can sometimes be rough on the stomach. But I learned when I'm on now, I can crush and put through my feeding tube. So, um, at least there's that. So what I decided to do, just in case, because of my motility issues, I crushed up a five milligram tablet and put it in mixed with water and sucked it up in a syringe. So if I ever need to get things absorbed in my system quickly, 
Just the same way I do when I have allergic reaction, I push Benadryl into my tube rather than taking it orally because it will abate the reaction faster. Um, I have that ready to go in case I ever need it for uh, cortisol and I need to get cortisol in my system ASAP. So, but um, what's the other thing? So I'm still learning about this. I basically learned I need to get myself one of those, you know, medical alert bracelets so that, and, you know, definitely update it, you know, I'm in the process of like people I know, it's like really important to update with this, to let them know that this is like happening because I kind of have to like prepare for everything now, it seems like. So, uh, and now I don't know if this goes for every single person who deals with adrenal insufficiency, but for me, if I have to have a procedure, like, Anything that's going to be stressful for me, so like for me getting my teeth cleaned is stressful, I would have to double dose on that. So double stress dose. So what I normally take, I have to double that. And if I were to have my tube exchanged again, I would have to triple dose that. So, um, and I actually got my low cortisol levels back fighting that out, um, the day that I was having my tube changed out because I was having problems with it. It was leaking. It was the weirdest feeling, but it was still able to run feed. And after it started leaking out of the tube itself, we just decided, you know what? It's been like four and a half months. It's time for a change. I go in, I get it changed. Uh, the report finally comes out and the tube was curled up in my stomach. Uh, with the tip basically just hanging out in the top of my small intestine. So usually when it does that, it has to be replaced anyway. So I got another button. And before, in the middle, I get uh, anesthesia. Because with my level of anxiety and nerves, the normal amount of twilight sedation isn't enough for me. And so they know, and that is easy for everybody if I'm asleep. And uh, this time I was put to sleep. And I remember them saying, I'm giving you midazolam. And then I heard them say Dacadron. And I was like, what? A steroid? I've never been given a steroid. I know I had to talk with the doctor who did my procedure. But I never got to me with the anesthesiologist. I was like literally laying in the bed. And um, I think I actually got on the bed before. And then they immediately said, we're just going to go ahead and get started. Um, and he's just like, we're just not wasting any time here. And they gave me something to relax me. And then they gave me the steroid. And then they might have been pushing something else like after that, but they never said. Or because I wasn't awake long enough to know that that's what they were doing. And I um, woke up and it took me a while to come up from awake from the anesthesia. And then soon as I was awake enough, they had discharge papers and ready for me to rock and roll. So after you have enough tube changes, you kind of know the drill. And so I usually take it easy the first day just to give, I call it my tube time to settle. And then the next day, I was just hit with a wall of pain. And certain, especially if they're on the stronger side, really cause a lot of body aches and they really affect my joints. I was using my dad's cane at one point. Um to get around. I, I was needing help to basically 
do anything to get out of bed, to have help walking to the bathroom, to stand up off the couch and do things. Like, I was like, what is this? I think after about the second or third day of, like, that, my mom was like, I made you an appointment with the doctor. And it was with the doctor who had the suspicion in the first place that my adrenals were the issue because for some reason, between January and February, and actually at the beginning of this month, I had asthma exacerbations, and every time that I would be trying to get off the steroids, my body was like, no. And I'd have to go back up and go back up. And finally, they switched me to a different type of steroid called a medical dose pack, and I was able to get off for a whole whopping two weeks and long enough to get the blood work done to see if I indeed had low cortisol, which I had as my uh, pulmonologist, but it nil. So now I'm on a medication. Now I I got the hang of dosing it and I definitely know I need to dose be, uh, if I need to add more than what I'm taking because I will start having massive GI symptoms and that is not fun. That presses right up, up against my anxiety buttons and so there's times like I wake up with allergic reactions and I get the cortisol symptoms hitting me first before I ever realize that it's because I'm having an allergic reaction. So, yeah, new roads to diverse, but I am confident that, like anything else in chronic illness life, you if you find yourself the right team, eventually you kind of figure out what works for you. And I've also learned, and if you don't know about this, and if you have friends with Addison's, and maybe they haven't told you this, but cortisol is life-saving. Like, there was a reason I couldn't wait to see an endocrinologist be put on something, is because I had literally next to nothing to work with. And if I were to experience a high-stress situation, it would not have been good, because there's something called going into adrenal crisis, meaning basically all of your hormones that would help you compensate for the stress are completely depleted and from there that can affect all and all the systems in your body and cortisol can affect all the systems in your body so that is why you can have symptoms from ranging from your lungs to your heart to your GI system because the cortisol hormone affects all of it so if it affects all of it and then you have none of it all those bodies, all those organs, your system doesn't know what to do without having that stress hormone there to help it. So if you don't have it, you can get really, really sick. And I'm not talking about you just need an updose. I'm talking about you would need a massive dose of cortisol to compensate for that stress. And if it gets usually that bad, some people have to go in the hospital and it can't even be fatal if not treated immediately so a lot of there are some people that have it that carry shots of cortisol so if they were in a stress situation they can drop a shot and draw up uh, a dose of cortisol and basically get that massive dose into their system um, and basically prevent very bad things from happening because I don't know. I've never experienced an adrenal crisis. Um, 
I call it the mini crises when like my stomach is hurting and I know it's my cortisol until my two things in my mind are abate the reaction, make the cortisol happy, make the adrenals happy. So, um, as I get more information, um, I'll share it with you and I share it with you because I don't know how many people are open about what they go through, but I want you to note that I did definitely go through and I'm still going through a lot of emotions about it and wrapping my head around a whole new diagnosis because just when you think you've been diagnosed with a lot and then another one gets stopped on your plate and you're like, how am I supposed to possibly deal with this? And I'm here to tell you, it's okay to like not be okay about it for a while. It, it takes a while to like come to terms with, okay, just the fact that there's no diagnosis. And then especially if it's a diagnosis that has this potential to be fatal, it's rare in the fatality department, but it does have that potential. So for example, if you are on your medication constantly and you're at maintenance and then you just stop, you can go into crisis. If you were into, see, happen, God forbid, a major car accident, that could send you into crisis, you would need a massive dose of cortisol. So that is why... It's kind of like certain conditions you need to wear those medical alert bands because then they know she's she's not making cortisol. We need to give her like it makes how you're treated differently. Even how my dentist treats me, um, like there, which I love about my dentist is that they're very aware of my medical issues. So I was supposed to. I just had my teeth cleaned, but. Uh, I was supposed to have another one, and I was just like, you know what, because I know this is a stress for me, let me let them know, and then they said, okay, so I now, with this doctor, especially if you are, are a dental patient that has like other medical issues, they want you to have a letter just saying it's okay for you to have any kind of dental work, even a cleaning, so I mean, I'm glad they go that extra mile to make sure that I'm protected and safe, and protecting themselves and just making sure that it's okay um so for that much i love this dentist um like make sure you have a dentist that goes the extra mile and is like really literally willing to say we want to make sure it's okay first before we even do anything in your mouth like so much as polish a tooth like you want to make sure that you're healthy to do this so i really really appreciate it like that extra mile because no other dentist has ever said, oh, yeah, you have all this. Well, we know about the heart because the most I ever get is, yeah, we know you have the, the, the SVT and the AFib, so we won't put that little thing, that type of uh, numbing medication that can make it last longer because that can make my heart go faster. So like right now I'm having, as we're talking, experiencing a few stomach cramps and I have doing things that might be a bit stressful, so it might behoove me to updose a little bit. But the thing is, then you also have gastroparesis, and I never know. But I never want to risk it being that now, so um, that's kind of what I do. Um, and you're like, well, how do you know what's 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 what? Especially when you have multiple, and a lot of them have 
a lot of them can cause fast heart rate. A lot of them can cause low blood pressure. A lot of them can cause other issues. You're like, okay, how do I know that it's that one? But it's usually because certain stress things, I'm almost going to know that, yeah, there is no way that this is not cortisol related. Um, because when I have gastroparesis flares or asthma flares or migraine flares, like any of the other, like a POTS flare, it feels totally different. And so I think that's another thing is you get to know your body really well. You know your body better than anybody else. I can't like say that enough. You know your body better than anybody else. And so I don't mind that I have to go to an appointment or I'm having a procedure. I will repeat myself a couple of times on things, especially when it comes to the things, especially when it comes to medications, which I thought that I did a good job with, with my tube change, um, and apparently not, because you cannot rely on them to, in my case, look at the notes and see, they're definitely not going to give you medicines that you're allergic to, but there's also medicines on the list that are on the list that I can't take because they don't work for me or because I don't tolerate them. And yet, in this one last procedure, I was going through all of the things. Um, I was given, and one of them was Reglan, which is on my list of medicines that are not prescribed to me. And it's like in all of the list because of what it does to me. And I'm just not a fan of the long-term effects of being on it. And I think it really messed with me. I think it put me in a GP flare, honestly, to be honest with you. So I was really happy because they told me, oh, everything went fine. And then now all the reports and everything was coming out. And I'm looking at everything that they gave me after I was asleep. And I'm sitting here going, things feeling a little bit shady. So I'm just still digesting that because I'm that type of person that I'm like, I want to see the whole report, not just what you dictated in, but I mean everything, everything that happened to me while I was asleep, aside from the tube change, what was my vitals doing, how was my breathing, what medicines were given to me, what do these medicines do, and because I saw something that I was like, you know, I've been anesthesia before. And I woke up fine. This time I woke up, my throat was sore. I was super groggy. And the last time I felt like that was the last time I had abdominal anesthesia. So then I was looking back at the drugs and I was like, why did they give me saxonacholine? That's generally one of the meds used in general anesthetics. So I've been kind of researching that. And I'm like, what happened? So, you know... Now I'm kind of on this mission, I'm the reduction row, is to eventually go back through and be just, I'm not afraid to go and ask questions and be like, hey, I was looking at the list of medications that was given to me and I want to know what type of anesthesia was actually given to me. Was I given a general, why, you know, yeah, that could be sore if there's a tube down your throat, okay, so then why was there a tube down my throat? If we're just doing a sedation, it shouldn't be deep enough to where it requires a tube down my throat. So why was there a tube down my throat? You know, those kind of things. Because everybody else just might take the papers and walk out and be like, eh, okay. But me, I'm like, uh-uh-uh. 
I read the whole report. I read all the things you won't tell me or aren't going to tell me. I will find it out because I like having all the information. It's just a thing. It's And it kind of feels back to, well, why do you do anesthesia for a procedure that's normally about 30 minutes, 15 to 30 minutes, depending on who you got as a doctor? Because my anxiety kicks in, but it is because when you're laying on the table, it is completely flat. And if you're doing twilight, so you're very awake-ish, but I'm awake at the beginning when they're prepping me and they just are adding layers and layers and it's all for safety. It's all to minimize infection and, you know, they're prepping the area around where the tube change is going to happen with betadine and it gets so big that I can't see my stomach anymore. I can't see the sight. And it's like, it is a total control thing. Like I like to see when people are drawing my blood, I like to watch. But when I can't, I, when I can hear things happening, but I can't see them, it makes me nervous because I'm like, what are you doing? And I'm not really talking to the doctor because he's got pointy, sharp things that could put holes in things inside of my abdomen. So I'm not bothering him. But the other people who aren't inside me, I'm like, I hear things. Like, what's that noise? What's going on? And everything feels amplified to me because of my anxiety. So I'm like, and they've tried. They've tried just like upping the amount of medications that they've given me. And it sometimes like works to a point. But then the problem is I am twilight high. Let me just put it that way. Because they just hit me up real hard with multiple narcotics, with stuff that makes you relax. So it kind of goes from twilight sedation to we're just going to make you on some seriously high narcotics that you're not going to be on planet Earth for a while. And I fight sleep on it. And I don't like that feeling. I don't like that versus with anesthesia, they do not give you all those narcotics, which I prefer that. And I think it took many times of doing it what the usual way is with Twilight, then realize I think you would be better off with anesthesia. And even other doctors I've worked with go, yeah, I've done you both with anesthesia and with Twilight, and you definitely tolerate the procedure better with anesthesia. So... It's a little bit more scheduling when I have to get a tube change because they got to get it on a day when they can also get anesthesia in the room. And it's a whole thing. But, you know, it makes it worth it because my goal, and ask, what is your goal of your procedure today? And I always say I want a peaceful procedure. I don't want to be stressed. I don't want to be anxious. I want this to be peaceful. I don't want to be in pain, you know, I want there to be good communication and I like, I'm stressing this and the doctor comes in to me and I'm talking about this and, you know, I go through past experiences and my main concerns, which is proper pain management. And if this certain thing type has to be done, just like my experiences. So having been very vocal over and over and over again, 
it has led up to now me having procedures where they're very aware of what I've been through. And so now they take the extra precaution that's needed to make sure that I do have a peaceful procedure. Um, so I'm not exactly a fan of when my procedures turn, uh, uh, the procedure becomes sort of an emergent thing because then there's no way that the anesthesia can happen. So then I have to go be try that way, which involves basically something to relax you and something to keep you not feeling the pain. And it, they usually bust out the strongest stuff they got. And uh, I think, I mean, this one time, my story time, I'm laying there and I'm talking to this nurse and she goes, I see where I ordered this for you. I think I've had you before. And I'm like looking at her like, I, I've had enough of procedures. I, I usually, faces become very familiar. But with her, I'm like, she is convinced. She's like, explain to her. So she's like, well, that seemed to work for you last time. So we're just going to do it this time. But, but she added one. So she's like, okay, I'm adding in the Benadryl. And I'm like, okay. Okay. She's like, okay, now I'm adding in and this. And I'm just over here like, and said. And I went from being like nervous uh, and Zofran and Mepsid to really relaxed. I, I don't know. I think between the two other drugs hitting your system at the same time, I went <gasps> because I think it hit my respiratory system and then I relaxed. And then all of a sudden I was like, yeah, I was gone. It took that much to get me into a, a suitable twilight state. And I was just like, when I came out of it, I feel like it took me days to not feel the effects. And they actually told me, it says, if we do anesthesia, we don't get the pain meds. And like, it makes a total sense the way anesthesia works with the brain. So I was just like, I would rather do that and avoid narcotics as much as possible. Because there's times in my life with other surgeries where after the surgery for home, they prescribe you that. And just bonkers that they just expect you to be in so much pain that you're you're gonna need this. And um, I didn't last that on very long. I would say like the first two days tops, and then after that I'm like Tylenol and Advil, Tylenol and Advil, because I'm I'm not doing that. I'm I definitely get afraid of being addicted adopted so I don't know if that runs in my family uh you know runs in my family but runs in you know the gene pool so to speak and so I would rather just eat it for like those days when the pain's really really bad but if I can manage between swapping you know with Tylenol you know I'm good like that's the kind of person I am I'm like if I have to have something for pain Tylenol Tylenol that's that's like the extent unless it's something of related to my tube and I have to do twilight that's that's the like, like one exception but other than that Tylenol so uh, I don't know if you're at you but it's just my body already has to take a lot of medication and I just I don't want to have to give it more than it already has to deal with and I don't like having to take a lot of Tylenol in the first place because it's not healthy really for you really but I try and most of the time, if it's painful, but I can still talk to people and I can think 
and do stuff, then I don't even take anything in the first place. So learning to do something that I, I, I know not to do, which is deal with the pain. So, um, yeah. So what else? Had interesting things happen in the realm of, uh, we'll call it a good deed that backfired, sort of, um, but has since been resolved. And a lesson in, or at least I got a lesson in my sexuality. Let's just put it that way. I got a lesson that uh, it does not matter who you, you might be interested in or who you might be liking or if you really just have a lot in common, pay attention to the red flags and if like you're telling your family about them and they're all like, no, that's like your red flag right there that this, 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 this is not it. And sometimes it's like really hard to just break. Like I said, it's like so good. But you have to realize you deserve, you deserve to be happy. You deserve to be treated like the amazing, beautiful, handsome people that you are. And, you know, not settle, even if it seems like, ugh. We have everything in common. We hit it off. We like the same things. We like the same movies. We're both the same sexuality. Like, ah, uh-huh. yeah, you know, like this like never happens. And so you're kind of wanting to, yeah. But for me, it was having to take a step back and seeing, yeah, it can seem all good on the outside, but then I find as you get to know, but it's people and guards start to come down, things start to come out and then the red flags start happening. So really pay attention to the red flags. I know it's hard because you might be really into somebody that you don't see them, but notice that if something doesn't feel right or you're kind of questioning something, that that's a good thing. That is your gut giving you a gut check. That's your gut check. Not saying check that. Do the math on that. Does that add up at all? Does that feel right? Because if it doesn't, you have every right to be like, you know what, this isn't working out. And hit that good old-fashioned block button. You know, today it's block button. I don't know what you would have done, you know, before this. But today, block. Blockity block, block, block. Um, I did do, but realized afterwards that it had to happen. It was definitely happened because if I realized now it would have gone down a road that there would have been, I feel like, no coming back from. And as much as, you know, it was nice to be like, okay, I can talk to somebody that, you know, is also pansexual and is into the same things and everything. It was nice and it realized, okay, yeah, this is definitely possible. There's definitely people out there who I have common interests with. At the same time, it's cool 
you know, it was really nice. It was a really nice wake up call for me. And, but then there was the other wake up call of, okay, but things I don't like, I don't like being manipulated. I don't feel like I'm being played. Uh, you're just telling me you like something because I like it. And it's starting to feel like you're just copying whatever I say. And, you know, things like that. Like, you can tell when somebody's coming from a place where they're being genuine and they really, really do like it versus when they're kind of just saying it because they want you to stay interested in them. And seeing that this person, I think, has a good heart. But I think has definitely just, you know, and I pray for them just to find healing. Because then I kind of realized that there was a lot of stuff going on that was way out of my wheelhouse. And, you know, it's one of those things when I decided I did not want to pursue a relationship with anybody. I don't want to be looking to date. I didn't want to date. I just wanted to focus on being single. I, I needed to get in touch with myself, basically. So I've been going to therapy and it has really helped me learn a lot about myself and helped me kind of understand my past and who I am and why these things are the way they are. And in the long run, it has helped me understand why any dating endeavors that I've tried have failed and has given me a different outlook or a way that I want to approach it the next time that, you know, I'm ready to step into that. Um, and, you know, don't be afraid to be like, you know what, I need to be single for a while. That's totally normal. I find, and I think it's good advice, is you have to learn to love yourself before you can learn to love somebody else. And the other thing is, if stuff's happened to you, I know stuff's happened to me, stuff that's caused trauma, stuff that you definitely have to work out in a therapist's office. And I kind of definitely realized it. Even if it was in the past, it can still kind of have an effect in the present and the future. And I wanted to get to the bottom of it, you know, solve the puzzles and the answers and some things, you know, you never know. And I accepting that was huge. Um, so if you've gone to that, you've had traumas and you know, maybe you haven't dealt with it yet or you're kind of in this place where you're feeling like, you know, I just. I give up on that. It's just not going to happen. I mean, let me something. When it comes to something and happened to you, the healing process is for you. You are not healing for the person who did that to you. You're healing for you. Any forgiveness, for, forgiveness is a hard thing to do. It took me a really long time to get to a point where I was like, you know what? I forgive them. Not, but I forgive them because I need, I need to forgive them. I need to not hold on to this because the less chips on your shoulder, the less hit you're holding in your heart, the less you're holding on, the more freer your heart is and the more open it becomes. And I was like, I have to forgive, you know, it, you may never forget, but I just have to forgive 
for me. Um, and doing that was huge. So I was like, okay, not this place. What they did was not okay. But for me to move on, I have to forgive them. And I, you, and I understand some stuff happens to you. You just don't get to a place immediately where you're ready to forgive them. It takes time and, and not forgive them to their face like that kind of thing, but like internal forgiveness. Like you may never see them again, but just like for my sanity and for me just to be able to move on, I just need to forgive. And I know some things are beyond forgivable. And absolutely just like beyond even consideration for that. And this is where I'm like, okay, so if it's a situation where it's like, I mean, you, you do not need to forgive yourself. All right. You're forgiving them for you so you can heal. You, this happened to you and you did nothing wrong. It is not your fault at all. You get that straight. You did nothing wrong. It is not your fault. I'm going to say it again. You did nothing wrong wrong. It is not your fault. People like to throw blame on other people, make people feel bad about themselves. And let me tell you something. If that's what they want to do, if they just want to spread negativity and lies and spread hate and make you feel bad about yourself. No, no, no. They don't own that power over you. You have the power over you. They can't, I learned this, you cannot create feelings in others, right? What they said is hurtful. People have said hurtful words to me, bullying things to me, things that have literally had me in tears. And I realized, no, 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 no. They don't have the power over me. They are, they, it's just words and yeah, words hurt, but not in this lifetime. Do they ever, ever, ever wield the power over me just because they said a few mean, nasty things to me. No, I have the power in this situation and you know what I did? I blocked him. I got out of that group. It was a bad situation. And if you're ever in a situation where it's like, people, you're feeling lost, you're not sure what to do if you're being bullied. You know what? And this is for people who like me who've been through bullying and you're scared, you're not sure what to do. Speak up. And I know it is the hardest thing. I know it just it is ripping at your insides. It's ripping at your heart. You just you don't know how you're gonna make it to the next day, but I promise you that you will. And I promise that this group is here for you. I'm here for you. As a bully, the best thing that I ever did was tell my teacher and then tell the principal. Even if it didn't get resolved in the way that it should have, 
I was, it changed things, massively changed things. I was able to get to a better school. I was happier because I spoke up and, and, you know, I don't know what home life is like, but if it's happening at home, if it's happening in a relationship, don't think that you have to sit there and take it. You are worth fighting for. Your life is worth fighting for. You are worth it. You are so worthy of this world. And there are so, you are capable of so much. You have so much potential and so much beauty and so much. And I want to see, I want to see all the amazing things that you're going to give in this world because I know you're amazing. And anybody that can't see that, well, we just don't need that in our lives now, do we? So, hang. reach out about it. If you're, talk to your parents about it. Talk to somebody you trust. You know, talk to somebody you know you can go to. And whoever that is, a teacher, a best friend, a counselor, Whoever, you go to that person and you tell them what's going on. You don't have to go through anything alone. You are never alone. There's a lot of us listeners that have been listeners and me who puts on this that have been bullied and we have your back. Bullied, you are not doing this alone. We have your back. You are not alone. You are not alone in this world by far. You are accepted and embraced and loved for exactly who you are. And we are all behind you, giving you the strength and sending you the strength and the vibes to know that you're worth it and that you don't ever, ever, ever have to take that. And Fight back. You fight back by speaking up. And it's hard. Because you don't know. And if talking to your principal and that problem is still not resolved. You know what? This is when I say you do what you have to do. I'm pretty sure at this point, bullying is definitely a crime. So you go to that parent, that person you know you could turn to for anything. Everybody has that one person in their life. And you tell them. And you get the help. And if it's a matter of transferring schools, if it is a matter of, and definitely also a part of the help is getting help for yourself. And that is counseling. That is really important. I can't stress enough is you need a place to vent this out. I mean, counseling, I'm also saying, pick up a journal and write it down. Don't feel like you have to figure out how to do this alone or by yourself. Parents, you would be surprised. There is someone in this world, world, and I'm telling you about this entire podcast. I'm telling you, we got you. We got you. We got your back. So you just think about all of us. 
and we're growing in numbers with you. And you stick up for yourself. You do what you got to do and you know that it's right. And I'm where I never fought for bullying, but I also think I started to think, and it was weird about me. I was like, I was always mad at the bully, but then I started thinking, man, what if the bully is going through some stuff too? And I'm not saying, okay, you're going through stuff, so pick on somebody to get it out of your system. No, don't do that. But it made me stop and think, hmm, who bullied the bully? What was it in that person's life? That led them to become the bully. So it gives me that tiny bit of empathy. But it's never acceptable. So in that sense, not only do the people that the bully bully need help. But also the bully themselves need help. And I know some schools are very, what's, what are the kids saying these days, woke to that. And other schools just kind of be like, it's kids being kids. But no. And if there's ever any teachers listening to this, it is not just kids being kids. Bullying is never kids just being kids. Ever. If you have a student come to you and say, I'm being bullied, I'm being picked on, so-and-so hit me, or whatever the case is, take it seriously every time. Because nothing feels worse than trying to tell somebody and then that fear, because it is scary and hard as heck to go to a teacher because you're afraid that it's going to make things worse. So don't ever think for a second that they are not pleading for help in front of you. Take them seriously. Teachers, I think we're taught, you advocate for your students. And parents, you advocate for your kids. And just as a person who loves kids, if you're a person and you've ever struck your child, that is not right. And if you are somebody where you are on the receiving end of being struck. There is a reason it's called child abuse. There is a hotline for that. And I know that you're strong enough you know what bullies certain situations because you know what if whatever but I'm saying Situations, they don't. Because I'm like, what does that say about you that you are picking on somebody that is not even half your age? Or is half your age? Doesn't really speak highly of you, and I wonder what happened to you. So, through that, if it's a bad situation, don't be afraid. You're like, but this is all I have. Darling. In that moment, but in reality, you have the whole world 
there is help. It is out there, I promise. So if you get to school and you need to, you know, reach out. I know child services sometimes isn't always the best and foster situations aren't always the best situation. But if it gets you out of a bad situation, if it gets you on track, because you deserve to follow your dreams, you deserve to know that you're loved and accepted and worthy. And I'm going to tell you it on this channel a million times over. Worthy. If it gets you out of the situation that you are in and into a better one or on track to a better one, do it. Because family never hits family. Family respects family. Family doesn't do that to each other, okay? Let's think about that. And if, especially if you have the little siblings in the house. Sometimes the parents, you know what, they need help too. And you are brave people. You are brave souls. And I don't want you to let anybody think that you, light is not worth shining on this planet because it is. It is. Your, absolute, your light is absolutely worth shining. It's a beautiful light. And I just always have this feeling that all of you, everybody just has amazing talents and gifts to give to the world. And they just need to be around the people that are going to bring that out in them. Because I believe everybody has potential. Believe in yourself because I believe in you. I was getting to the end of this podcast, but uh, I wanted to get into that is believe in yourself. And if you ever want to reach out, you want to talk. If, you know, I've been able to help you in any way, if these podcasts have been able to help, I'm looking forward to hearing out. And I, I hope that this was informative and I will catch you on the next one. Stay safe, my friends, stay healthy. And remember you are beautiful, you are loved and you are worthy.